Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. Uh, we have a cool episode today about baby talk and specifically how to talk to babies to make them smarter and give them bigger vocabularies. Uh, it's, a, it's basically a whole new language called parent ease. When I first looked at Charlie's notes for this episode, I was like, man, Charlie has totally forgotten how to spell the word parentheses. <laughs> but I was the one who was wrong. And as a result, I learned a lot in this episode. Uh, it's really great episode. Fascinating to see how our vocalizations change our interactions and the long-term effects that that can have. We even get some comments from the first author of the paper herself. Uh, so stay tuned. You can hear about, about her research. Thanks. We hope you enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to Paper Boys, the podcast where we unravel the research papers behind the latest major headlines in science. My name is Charlie and I'm here with my number one co-host, James. What's going on, James? Uh, you know, just happy to be here. You're uh, <laughs> flattering me with all this number one co-host talk versus all I, your other I mean, co-hosts. admittedly, it's by default, so. Huh. I'll take what I can get, Charlie. <laughs> You know what? Actually, James, I was recently listening to our old radio show. Ooh, the classic. The Space Station. One of the, I mean, it was a highlight of my life. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. I was listening to it and really missing it. You know, not that this podcast isn't lots of fun, but sometimes it's a little too serious, you know? The Space Station was something else. I mean, yeah. it was glorious. When you're just weightless in space, just cranking out your favorite tracks, you know, there's no worries in the world. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. Maybe we'll revive it as like a Patreon tier or something. Yes. You can get, get our back old some episodes. Neil and Buzz. Which uh which soundtrack did you listen to? Soundtrack. Which playlist? Uh it was the Foreign Jams episode. So we were playing all foreign mm. music, which was a lot of fun. And you pretended to be a French astronaut halfway through, which was awesome. That was great. Yeah. Very impressed by your accent. Thank you. We had some pretty solid swedish tropical house music too if i remember correctly yes yes our first song was uh well the opening song was actually space oddity in portuguese uh-huh. by Seu say uh, jorge i think his name and uh and then the next song that you played was take on me kaigo house uh, remix Kygo remix best song which ever is amazing song yeah played it at your wedding yes we did <laughs> that was actually our my first dance <laughs> you're with your mom right <laughs> With my yeah, with the parents, you know. Nice. Anyway, sorry, I was just thinking about that because we always get into this into this podcast and dive right into the serious stuff. But pre-podcast, we had we had other lives, surprisingly. Yes, we did. But today we will be talking about science. We will not be talking about tropical house. Dang. It does the science that you're bringing in today have anything to do with tropical house? Uh, it doesn't. It has to do with babies, though. Babies are cute. Yeah, babies are cool. Yeah. Right? What's um? The t- what's the topic of the paper? So it's specifically about, like, you know how parents will talk to babies or anyone will talk to babies and it's like, oh, like you have such little cute little feet, you know, and you just talk to them like they're, I don't know, like they're a baby. Mm -hmm. I'm definitely going to delete that part where I said you have cute little feet. (laughs) That's a creepy (laughs) thing to say. You should keep it. You should keep it. (laughs) I mean, I will. But anyway, so that way of speaking is actually pretty universal. Huh. It's like, it's 
in every language across the world, in almost all cultures, uh, people talk to babies that way, which is like kind of weird, right? Yeah, like making your voice high and cutesy and like making up these little baby words. I would say it's actually the number one reason that I cannot interact with babies is that I feel really self-conscious doing that in front of other people. Dude, the babies are judging you hard. No, no, it's not the babies. It's like, (laughs) you know, the parent of the baby is like next to me and I'm like, oh, I don't want to. I don't want to talk about their cute little feetsies with the parents here, you know? You just don't want to be judged by the babies. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) that too. Well, uh, okay. Do you draw the line with dogs, though? Oh, no, dogs, I do whatever I want, you know? Yeah. Dogs, I I start, I become very inquisitive. I start asking, so who is a good boy? (laughs) Are are you a good boy? It's hard, though, because it's a rhetorical question. It's sort of like Bob Dylan, you know, rolling in the wind kind of question <laughs> what's the question oh how many roads must a man walk down yeah who is a good boy yeah although you may never know yeah i think the answer to that one is 42 though which is another which again you wouldn't understand because you've never read hitchhiker's guide i started it it's actually on my desk and i'm more than part way through oh that's right yeah anna sent you that right yes thank you anna faithful listener thank you anna anyway so back to baby talk so this whole episode is gonna be about ba- baby talk because there was some research that recently came out um, from the University of Washington, actually, our, our future alma mater, and uh, it got picked up by a bunch of major publications. So CNN has a headline, Parentees, Not Traditional Baby Talk, Boosts a Baby's Language Development. I don't actually know if I understood that. So parentees is like just the, is a generic name for the way of speaking to a baby. Oh, parentees. Like parentees. Like- like Portuguese, but yes, for parents. Yes, exactly. Okay. Um, the Telegraph says, how speaking parentese can add 40 words to your baby's vocabulary. And, and then the Guardian says, who's a clever baby? How speaking parentese helps your baby learn to talk. And this article was actually written in the style of a parent talking to their baby. And you, the reader, were supposed to be the baby. And it was... Uh, oh, God. Yeah. I, I nominate this for most obnoxious article that i've read in the last year just feel insulted the whole time yeah it was very self-referential to how patronizing the author was being i'm not really sure how that got past the editor but yeah what wait which uh news source was that again the guardian that that was the guardian yeah Oof. okay well we'll post it you can check it out if you want to be patronized <laughs> yeah speaking of which if you haven't already what? wait are we gonna plug the patreon right now <laughs> no, i'm just kidding you should actually cut that. <laughs> yeah. You can patronize us through our Patreon. Damn. You said it. Okay. <laughs> so what was the actual journal paper that these news publications were covering? So the actual paper was published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Science. And it's called Parent Coaching Increases Conversational Turns and Advances Infant Language Development. It was published on February 3rd, 2020. And the authors are uh, Naya Ferian Ramirez, Sarah Roseberry Lytle, and Patricia K. Cool, who, like I said, they're from University of Washington. Dr. Ramirez is actually in the Department of Linguistics, which shares a building with my department. You guys have probably walked by each other on multiple occasions. Yeah. Well, well there's this one office that I keep walking by, and I keep hearing these really like high-pitched, you know, patronizing, muffled voices on the other side. It's probably... And like babies laughing. Really? No, oh, but. dude, come on. It's possible. 
Yeah. Well, I think I don't think their lab is in that building, but okay. Still. Anyway, you had me fooled. But it was cool actually because these researchers are at UW. Uh, I actually reached out to Dr. Ramirez and asked her some wow. questions, and she had some really nice comments. What'd she have to say? Um, so I so this I specifically asked her about the experience of having your research published in like international publications uh, because you know I can I can read the news articles to hear what she has to say about the science and the whole point of our podcast is not to boil it down too much to actually really give the science so I didn't really feel the need to ask her to boil down the science for me mm-hmm what I was really more curious about is that, you know, most scientists will never really get to have their work shared internationally the way that she has had her work shared. So I was curious if she had any insights or anecdotes from kind of behind the scenes of, um, you know, on this, on this podcast, we oftentimes will find articles that have grossly misrepresented work, or maybe they've done a particularly good job. And so I'm wondering what the process sort of looks like before these articles get published that could maybe lead mm-hmm. to good or bad um, reporting interesting yeah well i'm curious to hear what she had to say if only we had a ai fake version of her voice to repeat it (laughs) yeah uh well maybe i'll get my ai fake voice to read her quotes which would be a weird thing to do but yeah how about just your real voice (laughs) yeah i think i think that that'll have to do um but i'll read i'll read some of what she said at the end of the episode, because it'll make more sense when we have the context of the research and uh, and we're coming back to talk about how the news articles did. Okay, sounds great. Well, let's dive into the paper then. I'm, you know, I'm ready to get patronized. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to actually proceed in uh, parentees for the rest of this episode. Don't do it. <laughs> no, so this Raise whole idea, yourselves. this whole idea of like baby talk, anthropologists started talking about this in the literature in like the 1960s. And it's developed in the literature since then. And I thought this was really interesting. They observed this speaking style being used by mothers, fathers, siblings across many cultures and in both spoken and sign languages. Really? Yeah. That's amazing that you can communicate like that cutesiness in sign language. I didn't know that. Yeah, so they talk about what features distinguish um, parentees, and it it seems very uh, vocal to me. So the, there are a couple factors. Like one is that adults will increase the pitch of their voice by nearly an octave when they're doing this, uh, and then they'll exaggerate the pitch contours. So when when they go to a high pitch, they go even higher, and when they go to a low pitch, they go even lower, and then they really slow the tempo down and they elongate the vowels a lot. Hmm. But I can't, I don't really know how that would translate to sign language. Like, how do you elongate the vowels and how do you go to a higher pitch? I don't really know what the analogous parentese would look like in that situation. Do you think it's more like put kind of put your whole body in the, into the sign and like exaggerated signs? Yeah, maybe, maybe something like that. That'd be interesting to look into. Yeah. Or maybe it's like, you, you know, you talk like you're Italian, just like really use your hands. <laughs> <laughs> is that is that a bad stereotype? Am I not allowed to say that? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I but my wife's Italian. Out. I'm allowed to say that. Yeah. Aren't you a cha- aren't you Italian, Charlie? Uh, no, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm Italian by marriage now. So they actually the the lab that did this study produced a video about the study. 
Um, and in the video, they have some good examples of parentese, just in case any of you need to know what it sounds like. So Real quick, mm-hmm. is this paper open access or? Uh, I believe that it is, yeah. I mean, I was Great. able to access it without having to do any sort of login. So, Cool. Let's hear it for the listeners. So, uh, yeah, what did they show in the video? So the video is, I mean, it's, it's a really solid video that's just like a good rundown of what they did in this research. So if you don't have uh, 30 more minutes to listen to us tell you these things, you could spend three minutes listening to them tell you it in their video. But so if you want to just click that and take a listen to kind of what this parentese sounds like. Absolutely. What does it do? Yeah, it makes a sound. Tickle, 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 I got your belly. I got your belly. I got your belly. Talking in parentese to her little babies. Yeah. So that first woman speaking parentese is Dr. Ramirez, the first author on the paper. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, So that's just, you know, gives you a sense of what, what this parentese really sounds like. And you notice that it's like they're using, they're using full... English words they're not uh you know I think there's this misconception that you should talk to babies like say like goo goo gaga and like your widow your widow footsies and stuff like that um but that's actually I think is actually damaging to children's vocabulary you're not supposed to do that just talk to them using the same vocabulary and like structures that you'd use with someone else but change the vocalization of it yeah is that sort of what it's getting at like it's good to actually increase the the pitch of what you're saying and change the vowel length, but still use the same words. Yes, exactly. And that kind of begs the question, like, why? Like, what? Yeah. I mean, what is even the point of, why do we even need to talk to babies this way? Why can't you just talk to them totally normally? Don't you think they'd pick it up? So is that what, is that what the paper's trying to analyze? Like, why is parentese a thing? Um, yes and no. So there's, they are, have already published some previous research looking into that and showing that uh, using parentese, parent, like correctly using parentese increases children's vocabulary and like other language outcomes. So that's but, established. Yeah. So that's somewhat established. Uh, it's, I think that's a growing, that's like still a, a developing thing in the literature. And that's why they're publishing this new, like a new study in it. But what this okay. study is really does do a good job of is start to answer the why like you just said and it turns out that it really has to do with more of like a social socialization with the baby Mm -hmm. so it's the idea that the speaking to the baby in this manner like with this type of vocalization evokes a social response so when you when you talk to them this way they're more attentive to you and they're more likely to try and respond to you and so it creates this like hmm. feeling of, for them that like, oh, well, I, I'm now we're having a conversation. Interesting. I mean, this is one of those topics where I just want to keep asking why. Like, why are they more attentive? Why are they more willing to engage in conversation? That, so, I but, mean, that, that's a great question. I don't know the answer to that. I do know that they, they posted another video uh, from like a clinical study where there's this, this very young baby and on the left side is someone who's speaking parentese, and on the right side is someone who's speaking normally. And so if the baby looks uh, left, the person will speak parentese for eight seconds to them. And then if the baby looks right, the per- that other person will speak normally to them for eight seconds. 
Hmm. And so they just start out, let the baby look wherever it wants and where, and when it looks one way, you know, they gets that input and it looks the other way and gets another input. And eventually the baby starts to learn and, and eventually only turns its attention towards the one that speaks parentese over like several, you know, several trials over the course of like, like day it is something like 50 trials, you know, but for whatever wow. reason, that baby just feels more drawn towards the parentese. So it's sort of just a sheer objective observation of how children respond to different stimuli. Like if one of the stimuli is a parent speaking in parentese, then the baby is much more drawn to that. It's kind of like a fact of children. I guess so. Yeah. Okay. Well, so then that leads me to my next question of what are they specifically looking at in this paper? If that's been established. Yeah, so they're specifically what they're specifically doing here is taking they're taking a group of parents and they want to coach some of them on how to better speak parentese. Oh, okay. And then see if the coaching leads to better outcomes for the children. This is a lot like our recent bonus episode on the 36 questions to fall in love, except it's like the 36 widow questions that you can use to get closer to your baby. <laughs> uh, yeah, basically, it's kind of like that. You should start asking the baby, like, do you have a hunch how you will die? <laughs> <laughs> For those of you uh, who are unaware. If you could have dinner with any figure from history. Uh, oh, sorry. I, I, Oscar the I, Grouch I, Count? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a good answer. For those of you who are unaware... On our Patreon, patreon.com slash paperboys, we release bonus episodes every month. And this month, in honor of Valentine's Day, we released a bonus episode about the 36 questions to fall in love study. Yeah, it was a great study. There were no babies involved, but... No, unfortunately. But interesting nonetheless. Yeah. So, yes, I mean, you're right. That's kind of what they're going for here. So, there's already been some literature that suggests parentese is good. What, they're, what this paper is more specifically about is, can you get parents to do that better? And, and does that actually work? Okay. So how did they do it? How did they coach the parents? Want to dive into the, some of their methods? Yeah, sure. So uh, just a quick, quick rundown on, on who these parents are. It's, uh, they, I think they picked 71 families. And wow. every single one, they have an infant who is six months old. And is selected for, you know, they were born not prematurely and whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but it's all six-month-old infants at the start. Okay. And they intentionally select a broad range of socioeconomic status among these families. And then they randomly assign each one of them to the control group or to the, uh, the intervention group, which is the group that's going to get some coaching. Okay. And so they give them like these audio recording devices and then they put the audio recording device in their baby's like little vest pocket or something and so they can actually hear what the language sounds like in home like they they're getting like natural recordings of of how the parents are talking to their kids and then with the group that's getting coaching they they brought them in for coaching sessions when the babies were six months old 10 months old and 14 months old and they actually listen to these recordings to help guide the coaching sessions. Okay, so what are the coaching sessions actually like? Did you get a sense from the paper? 
Yeah, so they do uh, four things in the coaching session. One is that they take the recording from the that they took that they got in the home, and the researchers have previously like listened to them and they've parsed it out for like, okay, here were some good examples that you did, and here were some bad examples that you did, and they just give them this 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 linguistic feedback about, okay, here's how you can improve this part, or here's where you did this well. <clears throat> just trying to give an understanding to the parents of what their parentees, I guess, should sound like. It's so funny getting coaching on parentees. Like I'm looking at our shared note doc right now and it's like like throwing off the spell checker because parentees is everywhere and it wants to keep correcting it to parentheses. <laughs> yeah. But um did uh what were some of the feedback then? Like it's like, oh no, you need to make it even cuter or like try to go higher pitched or no, they not um, cute enough. They really focused on like the scientific outcomes. So, okay. uh, so you know, part part two of these coaching sessions were like playing certain recordings for the parent and discussing kind of the behaviors that they might expect out of the baby, and then, and then I think they they would tell them, uh, you know, we, we what we've seen in the literature and what we've seen in our study is that if you if you can change it to sound more like this, that has led to better outcomes. You know, this better outcome. And so they actually, they, okay. they do it very much like, here are the things that, that are beneficial according to the current science on this. And they, wow. and they deliver it in that way to the parents and let them realize, oh, so, so that's how I should be doing it. Gotcha. I mean, I feel like I need to go back and sort of rescind the way I was describing that. Like, this is really important research. I wasn't trying to like make it sound like it's not important. Coaching no. parents to interact and become closer with their kids, like, this is super meaningful and impactful for everybody because everybody was once a kid and, you know, this is a huge part of the development stage. It's just, like, it's hard not to associate the commands and the coaching with just, like, the cutesiness of parentees. No, I, I know. It's, I, it's very serious. And I, I don't think that you came across that way at all. Like, I think it's, it, it's, uh, it's probably one of the coolest part about these researchers' jobs is, like, on an almost daily basis, they get to just interact with infants and like talk to them in a really cute way. Like that must be a lot of fun, you know. I sit at like a computer and stare at code and hate my work, you know. <laughs> yeah, and like every day they're like, "Oh wow!" I mean, you know, it's probably not every day, but like at the core of their research, they're like, "Wow, I get to help parents and children." establish a more like loving fruitful relationship for the rest of their lives it's like okay and not only that and also like probably set these kids up for much more successful lives yeah like all of this has to do with the outcomes for these uh, children's language skills at 18 months which which the literature shows is like a very high indicator of their academic success at least for at least for elementary school and then i have wow. to imagine that the cascading effect there is your elementary school success is a huge indicator for your middle school success. And then you it's know, just all bleeds into each other. Yeah. So I'm getting a sense, like just sort of reiterate what you were saying. The there's a group of families who have six month old infants and they're given coaching sessions by the researchers as a way to help improve their parentees. Uh, I'm curious then what the researchers measure after delivering the coaching. Yeah, so they, uh, like I said, they, they have these audio recording devices and so they get their data from that. And what they're measuring is a couple of things. 
um, child talkativeness. So like how much, you know, and they don't even speak words at this point. So it's really just like them babbling. Mm-hmm. And then the adult word count, so the number of, of words that the adult actually says over the course of a day, uh, which side note, I think there's like kind of a, there's a belief based on science that that's the only thing that matters for your child's development. You know, like uh, I'm sure you've heard this, like the 2 million word, yeah. like where you're supposed to say 2 million words to your kid before they turn in age two or something. Mm-hmm. But that's, there's like they say in this paper, there's so much more than just word count that matters. Um, and so that's only one of the variables that, they, that they're covering here. Okay. Does it, does it still generally correlate word count with, um, I guess, what's the dependent variable there? With like vocabulary Adult word size. count with yeah. vocabulary size. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I've definitely, I've heard that st- study before. It's like one of my mom's favorite ones to quote. Yeah. And, and that's, I mean, and that's actually like a great kind of like paper boys staple kind of thing. Like we could do a bonus episode on that, you know, like it's, it's, it, everyone is familiar with that idea, the 2 million words, but uh, they say that quote, recent research indicates that the sheer number of adult words is insufficient to account for variability in children's language development. So uh, like, okay. I mean, yes, I think generally it correlates, but there's so much variation in in this development that you can't possibly explain it with that one variable i see i see um so some of the other variables that are important i mean i mentioned the, the babbling but then also a conversational turn count so like the number of times that the parent and baby have like a back and forth exchange hmm. and then child vocalization counts so the number of times that the baby tries to speak or, or make some sort of sound in response this is really interesting just from personal experience right now an 18 month old nephew and you can start to have these conversations with him even though he's not he says a few words but you can start asking him questions like oh you went to the zoo like what sort of things did you see and he'll start like kind of putting together these babbled sentences we're not really sure what he's saying but yeah it has all the elements of a story yes and you're supposed to do that and then you're supposed to respond to them as though what they just said made perfect sense like that's parentese. Parentese. Okay. Wow. So so it keep doing that. I speak the dialect of Uncleese. Yeah. You can put that on your resume as a language spoken. Negotiation level. Mm-hmm. You say I speak parentese at a conversational level. Interesting. That's cool. It so they actually give the parents and children audio recorders. So they're sort of always in the these recorders are always in the vicinity when they're talking and interacting. And then I imagine they go back and analyze the files. Yeah. So I think they have some automated stuff like the word count. I think they've got software that can do that. Okay. But, but certain things like the parental speaking style, like determining whether they're speaking parentese or normally, uh, they have to manually assess that type of stuff. Wow. Seems like a great opportunity to integrate AI in the cloud. Yeah. I mean, really, if these recorders were just IoT enabled, then we could hook them up to their fridge. And they're light bulbs. Some of the best. Some of the best. <laughs> yeah. That's what you need. Great technical jargon there, Charlie. <laughs> so, okay. Parents interacting with their children. They've had some coaching. They're being recorded. We're looking at key metrics such as child talkativeness, aka babbling, adult word count, conversational turn count. What are the results? I'm on the edge of my seat. Yeah. Now that we're half an hour in, I can finally get to some results. <laughs> I mean, that's that's typical paper boys timing. I know. We've been doing lots of babbling. It's true. 
So, I mean, there's one obvious result, which is the parents who got the coaching uh, had an increase in the use of their parentees. So they, they were responsive to this type of intervention, which is good. They don't just like leave their coaching session and then just kind of like forget or not really care. Good. And interestingly, the, the parents who had the coaching, their, uh, their kids had higher conversational turn counts and higher vocalization counts than the control group. So you can actually see this plot here. Uh, mm -hmm. you, James, not you, the listener, because this is an audio format, but <laughs> you can see these three plots comparing the control group versus the coaching group. Wow. I mean, it's amazing looking at these graphs. So there's, like you said, there's three graphs that are comparing those key metrics. And basically, by the time the child is 10 months old, there's already a huge increase in all of them. And what's interesting is for two of the metrics, at least, there's further divergence in the progress. So like the parents that had intervention, uh, as the child gets older, like the gap between having the intervention and the control widens even further. Yeah. And, the, and those two are like the more social metrics. It's like the conversational turn count and the child vocalization count. So you're right. Like they're widening out in that the, the intervention babies are becoming much more social and are responding more socially to the to like the improved use of parentees. Wow. So did they look at any other metrics or do any other analysis? Yeah, well, I mean, they did lots of analysis there, but I I pulled out a couple of things that I found interesting. So, yeah. One was they were looking at socioeconomic status. Much to my relief, there was actually no effect of socioeconomic status on the development of these children, which is to say that regardless of what the socioeconomic status was of the families, having the intervention, so having the coaching to improve your ability to speak parentese had positive effects. Uh, yes. And the socioeconomic status was not correlated with any of these outcomes. That's awesome. Yeah. So it's not like, well, well, you know, the rich babies turned out better than the poor babies, but they both had improvements when they were coached. Like, no, that, that's not true. They just, all of them did equally well if they had the same type of like parentees intervention. That's amazing. I mean, yeah, it seems like everything is tied to socioeconomic status. I know. And I feel like, and I felt like I had heard something again in that kind of like popular science that just permeates our culture. I feel like I had heard this idea that uh, lower income families had a vocabulary gap because of this whole word count thing. And that may actually be true. I'm not, I'm not sure. But this right here suggests that it's much more of like a socialization problem than just a socioeconomic one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this could have profound effects because like, well, I don't know. We can talk more about that in the discussion. But it seems like this is sort of easily offerable across the board. Yeah, totally. Maybe, maybe. I guess there are implications. Yeah. Any other particular analysis you wanted to talk about? Yeah. So there was another graph in here that just showed the outcome for the children once they reached 18 months. So that's like, so they started at six months and then they had a couple, a couple check-ins, you know, 10 months, 14 months, and then 18 months. And then at 18, they kind of did the final exam and they looked at the number of words recorded as well as the number of uh, words and sentences that the parents estimated their kids could speak. And mm -hmm. Uh, there's like a very stark difference. For the group that had coaching, the baby's vocabulary size was about 100 words at age 18 months. 
Whereas the group that had no coaching, their vocabulary size was only 60. It's like a 60% difference between the two. Uh, 40%. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Depending on which. Yeah. It's a lot. It's, it's a lot. A yeah. Difference. Yeah. It, so th- that right there was like a really kind of, that's a very stark result. That's something that I feel like you can boil down, permeate into popular knowledge and say like, boom, you will, you know, almost double your kid's vocabulary size if you speak parentese more. Wow. Where do I sign up? I guess I have to have a kid first. <laughs> I know. Well, you can I'm practice like, on your nephew. Can I go back in time and have my parents talk to me more? <laughs> do you think that would work? Do you think that would make you a better podcast host? I think it would have changed my career path entirely. <laughs> to be what? What would you be? A, a better podcast host. <laughs> you would be a, po- a podcast host who does science on the side. Ooh, yeah. And then I would have a YouTube vlog about my science experiments. Yes, yeah, that'd be great. I'd watch. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's pretty cool. I mean, this is really interesting. I'm just sort of thinking about it and absorbing the dramatic effects and how this like might actually be used. Did they talk about what sort of the broader impact of their findings would be? Yeah. So I really liked uh, there was a line in the discussion. I'll just quote it. The results presented here support the notion that complex scientific information can successfully be explained to non-scientists, parents, to leverage their use of specific language behaviors and have a powerful effect on children's learning. I mean, that I, I really like that implication because, I mean, it kind of it kind of speaks to me as a paper boy, the idea of trying to convey complex scientific information to non-scientists. Like, I think you and I feel strongly that, quote, non-scientists can um, digest this information every bit as well as we can. And that, you know, oftentimes I think people go too far in trying to boil it down and simplify things in a way that can be, you know, almost patronizing. But what this study suggests is that, no, you can actually convey that and people can internalize it and uh, apply it in their lives to realizable benefits uh, in their children's development. Wow. Yeah. I mean... And to their own benefit, I mean, being able to improve that bond and like to integrate the science in such a way that has such, you know, such an impact on their daily life. There's such, for example, you know, we talk so much about science and global warming and it's like, yes, this does have an impact on us, but it's like the problem seems too massive for a single person to handle in a day. But this is like meaningful science that has a huge impact on you and your loved ones instantly. Yeah. It's like one of those things that's almost like, it's almost too easy, you know? I mean, not that it's easy. Like it's a whole nother, it's another added layer of things you need to think about in among, you know, on top of the 10,000 things that you need to think about when you're raising a kid. Mm -hmm. But it's something you're doing all day long. You're, You're talking to your baby all day long. And so if you can at least just develop the right habit of how to speak with, to them, I mean, that can, that can, you know, it'll pay off in the end when they become a very rich and famous celebrity because of their great development. Yeah. And then, you know, they buy you a house and isn't that the dream <laughs> for your kid to get rich? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess there's probably some like uh, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> I'm sure. Side effects to that. I'm sure. But I guess one interesting thought that comes up with this though is like, you mentioned specifically the control for socioeconomic status. It seems like the one thing that's hard to control for, though, is like 
if you're so busy working that you just can't spend a lot of time with your children, you know, especially like in that stage or like if it's hard to get maternity or paternity leave. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that I'm sure that that's true. And I'm sure that that is part of what drives the correlation between just like the word count alone and the outcomes. Mm -hmm. I think that that's probably, I mean, this is me speculating. So take, don't take this as gospel. But I would imagine that that is probably correlated just to, you know, how much how much time you really have to commit to raising the kid. Yeah. But even still, I mean, what this suggests is that it doesn't have to be you, the parent. I mean, even if you send them to a daycare or you have a nanny or, or whatever it is, as long as the child is, is being spoken to in that way, it's good for their development. Like they're learning yeah. that socialization and they're responding to it. I wonder, this would just be interesting to look into or even actually talk to the authors about some more if they're ever involved in these like policy decisions. You know, I think there's been in general a a wider push to incorporate like the mandatory offering of maternity leave and paternity leave for employees. Yeah. And sort of like where they stand or what they've seen in the research on that at least. Yeah. Because I mean, you know, to support the growth and proliferation of well-spoken children seems like it's in everybody's interest yeah totally i mean i'm not sure how much overlap there is just because i mean this this paper in particular is looking at children between six and 18 months so Mm -hmm. i mean that already is a it's already several months after the baby is born so you're probably not taking leave anymore if you're if you're still working and then on yeah, top of that, I mean, that's a very extended period of time. That that means like you need to be sustainably and, you know, probably maybe even not working or ha- or you have your child with you most of the time. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is that expanding on that, I think this research group is particularly focused on kids between zero and five years. So it could be really anywhere in that development cycle that these things can have an, an impact. Oh, interesting. Okay. So really like the... Very young developmental stages, but like still, uh, I mean, four-year-olds probably in preschool or some sort of. Right, right. So I don't think it's, yeah. I mean, I guess this study in particular was specifically with parents who were spending a lot of time with their kids, but, uh, you know, the implication hopefully stretches to any social situation that a baby or, or toddler will be in. Yeah. Man, it would have been hard to be a part of the study and be in one of the control groups and then look back and see the results and be like, like, I'd be kind of upset. Yeah. I mean, you'd hope that maybe they just don't know. Yeah. You know, isn't that like a, whatever, a double blind study or something or a blind study? Like they're not supposed to know what the thing that's actually being researched is. I mean, they were probably just given an audio recorder and told, we want to record how you speak to your baby to study it. Yeah. But like. You know, then it's on CNN and stuff. And you're like, I wonder if we were part of that <laughs> yeah, study. And they're like, true. wait, we never got coaching. Yeah, that's true. Oh, well, to, I'm sure all those babies are going to turn out fine. To explain to young Jimmy why he's not going to Harvard when he's 18. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, well, that's really interesting. Was there anything else you wanted to add about the episode? Either analysis or results or just general thoughts? Uh, no, I mean, running kind of long. So I wanted to get a chance to um, talk about what dr ramirez said yes yes so i mentioned at the beginning i i was able to email naya Feryan ramirez who is the first author on this study and she very kindly responded very rapidly actually which was very nice of her um and yeah. so i just asked her 
what her experience was like interacting with these international publications and kind of maybe to give some insight on the behind the scenes, maybe for like other scientists or researchers who are curious what that's like, or for anyone listening who's kind of wondering how the sausage is made in these things. And she, and she sent me a short reply. So James, to your point about how like, you know, you felt kind of bad about making a joke and then you said, oh no, actually, well, this work is really important. So I'll, I'll just read what, what she said. She says, quote, I think what I study has important implications for our society as a whole. I think it's my responsibility and honor to explain my findings to the media to the best of my ability. Of course, sometimes you don't get a chance to do as much explaining as you'd like, or they may misinterpret what you said, etc. But if I can, I try to take these interviews very seriously. I always ask to proofread and fact check. Sometimes reporters are happy to do this. Other times they just go ahead and publish. Other times they will want to talk to you at impossible times, such as this morning when I took a reporter's call at 5.15 a.m. She was in the UK and had a deadline. I feel kind of bad because I, I sent her an email asking her this question and then I dropped in like a, oh, by the way, like we're recording tonight. And so I kind of <laughs> like inadvertently gave her like a, a deadline. It totally did not mean it in like a, a pressuring kind of sense. So when she replied this, I was like, oh God, I'm just piling onto her her stress about this right now. Um, well, it was super nice of her to get back. So it was, yeah. We Thank you if you're listening. Yeah, thank you very much, Dr. Ramirez. Um, she had her last sentence here though, really actually stood out to me. She said, prior to publishing, I like to give my papers to read to a non-expert, such as my husband or my parents, to see how they will interpret the findings. Then I can anticipate where most of the sticky points will be and prepare better. I really like that. I think that's a great idea. Yeah, I regret not having done that for anything. I haven't had like anyone do that. I mean, I've had you read things. Yeah. Or like watch my presentations, but. Well, and even just the insight that I gained, even from her, this one response was I reached out to her with the kind of with the thought that, oh, well, you know, I, I mean, I work in like plasma physics and nothing that I publish, anyone's really going to ever care about that much. It has no implications for society as a whole. Whereas her work is actually really important to pretty much all of our lives. And so when she's even talking yeah. about how I take these interviews very seriously, I always ask to proofread and fact check. I wasn't even like thinking about the fact that you know she probably gets contacted by the media very frequently and regularly. So it's like, you know, in her field and with her work, it's particularly important that a lay person can understand it so that it's more, uh, so that it's more communicable to the public. Whereas for you and me, our audience really is, is mainly specialists in our very specific engineering fields. So, you know, I don't know if having my wife proofread my physics paper would do all that much for my work, but I think that when you are working in a field like this, that's extremely valuable. That's true. That's true. I mean, you could also argue, though, that for both of our research topics, like there is some connection at the end. I mean, if only because of the fact that it's like publicly funded. Yeah, that, that's true. But I mean, there. Yeah, I have but, no illusions that my work is anywhere near as important as as this, you know? <laughs> no, no, no. I, I mean, same. I totally agree. The um, the one thing that's just interesting to kind of think about the like sort of meta part of me when I read that is like she's basically basically speaking like media ease like 
all all of everything she's doing is in English, right? But she basically speaks like 10 different forms of English because her whole idea is like, how do you communicate these ideas better and engage with people? Like her research is on how you do that with children, but she's also like obviously super conscious about how you do that with the general public and with journalists so that you get your ideas across. We actually had a training yesterday about like how to speak to the media about scientific results. Really? And it's like super interesting. Yeah. Basically, I mean, she summed it up pretty well, but you have to be really careful and like think about if you give a journalist an analogy, it'll probably show up because they're sort of always trying to think of analogies as a way of communicating your work. Yeah. Sort of talk in sound bites. And then it's easy to lose track with analogies because it's like, an analogy is saying how one thing is like another, but it's not saying that one thing is another. Yeah. You know what and, I mean? And I think that when you give people too, too like convenient of an analogy, they will just default to the analogy and ignore the responsibility to find a deeper like understanding of it. I don't want to totally. say responsibility. No, none of us has a responsibility to just understand things that we're not like studying or whatever, but no, but I, I I read an interesting article about this just to, you know, really carry this tangent all the way. <laughs> okay. And in it, the author was basically saying, if you look at any topic, any topic, there are so many more details than you can handle. His example was like, if you want to build stairs, you're like, okay, you get a bunch of wood, you put it at 90 degree angles, you build it from one level to another, boom. But then he started talking about the templates that you need and the angles and how complicated it is to actually fabricate it. And you're like, just extrapolate that to anything you can imagine. And yeah. It's more complicated. Yeah. Well, there's so, what does what that affect? Like the the less you know about something, the more you overestimate how much you know about it. Yeah. And sort of the analog of that, like the more you know, the more you know, you don't know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I know nothing well, about making stairs. I wonder... I wonder if my research would go better if all my professors just spoke to me in like grad student tees. <laughs> Maybe they are. I know. Too. I was going to say, how do you know they're not already? They probably like behind are. closed doors. Professors are probably talking so high minded. And... Yes, finally, we can express ourselves <laughs> in the way we were hoping to. Yeah, they talk to us like a bunch of 18 month old babies. Basically, the more it changes, the more it stays the same. Yes, yes. Well, thanks for bringing this one in, Charlie. I learned a lot. Yeah, thanks for listening. I know this is kind of a long one. I kind of babbled around, but... No, we brought it back. We brought it back. We're all better for the for the journey. Indeed. If you haven't already, please do check us out on social media, Paperboys Pod. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter and on Patreon, patreon.com slash paperboyspod. Charlie, tell them what they'll get if they sign up. Yeah, I've, I kind of feel like um, the announcer on like The Price is Right. You're like, tell him what he's won. <laughs> uh, no, the Patreon, yeah. We have a Patreon where we do bonus episodes every month. We've done some really cool ones. This month actually, as James mentioned, is about love. So you're going to want to sign up before Valentine's Day so you can learn how to make your date go super well. It was actually really cool. Yeah. There, was a, there was a group of psychologists who developed a procedure that would generate like very intimate closeness between two strangers in like 45 minutes and it involves these 36 questions that you ask each other that like dive really deep you know things like 
deep dark secrets that you wouldn't tell anyone and they work surprisingly well it works really well yeah there's actually in one of the studies one of the random pairings ended up getting married yeah it's pretty crazy and basically everybody felt closer with their partner yeah by the end but we won't spoil too many too many things from it encourage you to go check that out on the patreon patreon.com slash paperboyspod just pi dollars a month for those episodes and uh g dollars a month capital g dollars a month for uh getting a video of our beautiful faces recording that episode yeah so we'd love it if you went and checked that out thanks so much for listening everyone Please join us again next week for another exciting edition of Paper Boys.